We are live. We are live. We are live. We are live. Okay. Hey, everyone. My name's Crafty from Craftworks Distillery, and I'm one of the three of Aussie Craft Distillers Shooting the Shit, which is our little wee podcast interview format where we interview fellow distillers, uh, malt, coopers, people in the industry that help us bring our product to you. Uh, people that loved our product, we hope. So we will go around the, um, the room, who we've got, uh, and we'll start with our guest. So we have affectionately known as B1 and B2 from the McHenry Distillery. So Bill, Big Bill, Little Bill, because it's easier for us <laughs> trying to work it out. <laughs> Bills, how are you, guys? We're good. Very well. Yep. Cheers. Cheers. Exactly. Exactly. And what, what's actually in your glass? We'll move to that straight away. What are you drinking? Uh, it was full but while we were waiting. It's nearly empty. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Belveni Caribbean cask. Was it 14? 14 year old. Very nice. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll move down down this way and beneath me is my good friend and partner in crime uh todd otherwise known as the todd who's my right hand man at craftworks distillery g'day todd how are you mate i'm doing well freezing yeah. a bit but not as much as you by the looks no you cannot complain i'm one degree and it it did snow but i wasn't here so you cannot complain and i was in sydney today so i know how cold it was in sydney yeah, what are you drinking, Todd? So I'm drinking Blackgate. Oh, very nice. Blackgate. Which one you got? Uh, 75, 75, I think it is. 75. So you got that at the World Whiskey Day. World Whiskey uh, Day. That was, that was my little purchase on the way up. Nice. Very nice. Okay. Once I finally got the bottle open, it tasted quite good. But it's a bit of a workout <laughs> to get the lid off. <laughs> All right, and below you is local nerd, distiller, brewer, and all things whiskey, and our IT guy that holds this whole thing together. Thank God. Right. Very, very nice. Nice. Luke, how are you, mate? I'm very good, thank you. Very, very what good. Are you, I'm, what are you thankfully drinking? Thankfully, I've got my heater on in my shed, yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm quite toasty at the moment, and um, I'm even though it is cold. I'm on the gin. I've got the Mary Street gin, uh, Sydney Dry gin from uh, our friends at uh, OCD. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, excellent. Good night. So, uh, very, very nice. And uh, it is cold, but I'll still drink it. Yeah, we'll battle on. All right, well, let's rip into it, eh? Let's rip into it. So, let's start with Bill. You were one of the first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, little Bill, little Bill, put your hand up, little Bill. Yeah, little Bill. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've got, we've got. Can maybe maybe we start with the introduction of who each Bill is <laughs> in relation to Bill McHenry and yeah. McHenry Distillery. Who are you guys? Who, who's yeah. who? Okay, I'll talk. I've got the pencil. I've got the talking stick. 
Brilliant. Um, yep. I'm, I was christened William McHenry. I typically take the name William McHenry now, except growing up I was always Bill. And and that's sort of out of uh, respect for Bill Lark because having two distillers on the, on the well, actually three distillers uh, called Bill, it does get confusing at times. So mm. um, I'm the owner, uh, along with my wife, of McHenry Distillery. And we're located way down south uh, on the Tasman Peninsula. Um, it's roughly 43 degrees latitude. It's, it's really deep into the, the roaring 40s. Um, we, we built the distillery there. Having moved from Sydney, because we felt that not only the environmental conditions, the, the, the temperate environment, um, very similar to Scotland, and the access to pure cold springs would give us um, some of the best conditions to make whiskey in Australia. And little did I know when we moved here that there was already uh, a reasonably uh, thriving Tasmanian whiskey industry. So I was lucky I sort of fell into it. Uh, you know, there were five distilleries already here, so um, it, it certainly made the road a bit easier. And it got a hell of a lot more easier when my old high school friend, Bill Two, uh, joined the distillery. So we, we used to go out picking slowberries together and it, it moved from slow berry picking to distilling. So now he's actually the, the head distiller. So I'll hand over the talking stick and I'll let Bill introduce himself. Uh, yeah, well, we're both from Adelaide, Adelaide Hills, and uh, which was God's own country back then, wasn't it? When we were young. Couldn't have asked for a better place or, or a better time to grow up. And we had a good time. And... Uh, from our early 20s through to uh, into our 40s, we, we barely saw each other. Mm -hmm. But uh, now here we are living in each other's pockets once again. My plan, of course, <laughs> my plan at high school was that I, I would be in the position of McHenry and owning the establishment and, and he would be in my position as an employee. But it doesn't seem to have turned out that way. I'm not sure why. <laughs> anyway, chasing too many girls. Yeah, that's how it is. Luck of the draw. So go, mm. go back to the start, um, Bill McHenry. Go back to the start. Mm -hmm. I, I met you uh, Salamanca Market. Uh, that's what. That's how I remember it. When you you were this was before you actually released any of your stuff, and you had three three capes from memory. Yep. Is that right? So that. Tell us the story about that and how how it all began there and, yeah. and how it evolved from there. Okay. So um, before the distillery came the idea, and um, 2006 I was actually living with my family in Sydney and my neighbour came over. We had a, a great meal and as it always was the case, Graham, my neighbour, used to stay back and we used to sort of you know, talk philosophy and you know, astrophysics and shit like that. And um, um, the conversation wouldn't go very long because we didn't know anything about philosophy and astrophysics. So we, we always sort of ended up, you know, life after 50. And uh, Graham at the time said to me, look, it's obvious really what you should do, Bill. And I was pretty keen to see what he thought my uh, qualities uh, <laughs> would lead me to. He said, well, with a name like William McHenry, 
burn the bagpipes and make whiskey. And um, everyone, when I tell the story, everyone has a great chuckle. And that's how he meant it. He meant it as a joke. But I actually took it very seriously and started researching, learning about it. Luckily, the role I had allowed me to travel a bit still um, overseas. And so I spent some time in Scotland and really fell in love with it. So um, it, it, it then just took <laughs> the challenge of convincing my wife to move to Tasmania. And you've got to remember... Whilst Tasmania is 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 a sort of everyone wants to go to, and, and a lot of people are now moving down here. But you know, so 15 years ago, it was still the butt of a lot of jokes. It was still a bit of a backwater. Um, so it was a bold move, to be honest, to to bring the family down here. Mm. Anyway, um, I, I I persisted, got my way. We moved here 2010, and we opened the distillery. And and as everyone watching the podcast will know. Whiskey takes years to make, and every business, whether it's a whiskey business or a news agent or a pizza shop, you need cash flow. And so I secured, how about this, guys? I secured 20 barrels of Sullivan's Co. whiskey, and we were wow. we were we were tempering it back at the distillery with our water. We kept them aging for a bit longer, but then we were basically selling it under a white label under a private label called um, Three Capes. And uh, we were selling bottles of Sullivan's Co. for 160. Oh, no, it was less. So, too, it was about 120 to 130, I think, in the early days. Wow. Yeah, I know. How many of those barrels could... do you have left? Any at all? That many. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Kept a few bottles, thankfully. So I've still got, you know... I think I, I'm not sure who the audience is, but you know, I think the best thing I ever advice I got really from Bill Lark was keep an archive of whiskey. So every time we do a release, we actually hold back whiskey, and so we've got a little room in the distillery that's just filling up, filling up with a lot of our early releases, hmm. which allows us then to go back in and and do special VIP tastings, uh, give away for charities, these sorts of things. So we can really uh, add value to the experience of coming to it. And I still have, I, I reckon we've got, I'm guessing it's a few dozen bottles of the three capes still. Oh. Is that about right? Um, more like one dozen than a few. Yeah, one oh, dozen. Yeah. I've got one bottle left. Mm. I, re I remember... Oh. I remember when I, I was in Tasmania once and... I went around a whole lot of bottle shops in Tasmania to pick up as many three capes as I could. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting them home and lining them all up and they'd flock. Some had flocked yep. the, the, the colour. The mm -hmm. colour consistency wasn't there. And that was mm -hmm. uh, that was one of my first experiences of, of that. And I was like, mm -hmm. that was the first experience. Yeah, look, flock's an interesting thing because we reckon – we, we don't cold filter, chill filter, and we say on our labels quite um, proudly that, um, you know, flock, flocking will occur. You know, you will get cloudiness um, mm. because we reckon well, there's a lot of flavour in that flock. We don't like taking it out. We think you actually get a lesser experience. Um, mm. So we try and keep the whisky in its purest form. And I reckon you, you might know, Crafty, because you're a bit more of a, to sort of follow these things, but there is a, a French whiskey which is like 
think somehow they do it. I'm not sure, but it's almost half flock. It's incredible how flocky it is. But it's, it's super popular in France. I know that. And because, because, yeah, it's a French. Yeah, I saw it there a few years ago because I, I looked at it because the tendency for us these days is we don't like, you know, blemishes. We don't like, you know, what we think are imperfections. And so yeah. I noticed this stuff on the House of Whiskey in Paris in their store and I asked about it and they said, one of the most popular whiskies we have and it's, it's highly flocked whiskey. Mm. There you go. One, one of the analogies that I use uh, with flock is it's like the it's like a gravy pan, it's like a burnt mm. gravy, and it's it's the scrapings off the bottom of the pan. It's just really really yeah. intense flavour. And mm. and I had a I had an experience with my own flock um, last week. Um, had a couple of bottles of an earlier release which we call Blue Zero One, and it was the the last three bottles, very very concentrated flock. And I was at home and I and I poured it, gave it to a friend of mine. It was delicious. It was mm. absolutely it's just the mouthfeel, the length of flavour, the, the everything about it. Flock, flock is flock is a very interesting thing, isn't it, to experience. So mm. highly recommend that. Yeah, cool. Excellent. Um, okay, so where you you changed direction uh, over the years. Um, yeah, originally it was it was all it was whiskey. You were one hundred percent whiskey. That's that's what it was. And then you moved into gin, yeah. and you you went into gin quite hard and quite early. Uh, I would say yeah. compared to you know what's you, know, you look at the amount of gin that's out there nowadays. So what what pulled you into gin? What was it cash flow or was it you you had a desire to get into gin? Tell us about yeah. that. And, and I'm I'm glad for the question because I. I I, you know, we ask, is it cash flow? And, and it's, it's exactly the opposite. It was really trying to make sure that we were able to offer full customer experience. For us, it's all about what our customers think about our product. It doesn't matter how good we think we are. It's it's all always about what, what the customer thinks. And we would get people coming to Salamanca store. We would get them coming down to the distillery to do tastings. And there'd be always a question, what else? If I'm not a whiskey drinker, do you have anything else? And so, you know, vodka is a relatively easy thing to make, but I, I don't find vodka all that satisfying to make, you know. Um, to be honest, um, you know, vodkas often, good vodkas are stripped out, you know, alcohol. So we didn't want to do that. So we thought, look, um, gin was a great product. We started making it. My wife liked it, so that made it easy. Um, and, and we were lucky that, that we got in pretty early in the whole gin thing. 2012? Yeah. Wow. 2011, I think, 2011. was the first one. Yeah. And, and, and we sort of got caught with that tidal wave. You know, we just got swept along. And, and to be honest, we've sort of um, become overwhelmed a little bit now by all the gins that are out there. So... Um, uh, one, one thing that we actually always like doing at the distillery is just intellectually challenging ourselves. Yeah. So we're always trying out different spirits. So we did move on. We, we, made, we make nine different gins, I think. We're now making rum. Um, yeah. We make yeah. a bunch of brandy. We do contract brandy making. And we've started doing a, one of these Chinese spirits, but... Um, 
more for scope than everything else. So we, we, you know, a lot of the stuff we do is is very much about um, challenging our own intellectual um, curiosity. Um, yeah. It's about being, you know, savvy businessman. You know, what what's next? You know, what what is going to be following gin in terms of, you know, consumers. You know, are, are uh, well, as you say, fickle, but but consumer trends. You know, they, they don't last. And so if you, you want to stay in business, you've got to find um, either a product you can make really, really well or a product that the customers are demanding. So that's sort of where we're at. Um, but it's funny, the gym thing has been really good for us. I, I still tell people that we're, we're a big-time whiskey to sell. We, we, on any given day, we're making more whiskey than gin. Yeah. But the nature of our whiskey making is we're looking to have Long aged, um, double digit, you know, uh, whiskey uh, in our inventory, or you know, to sell. So 10, 12, 15 um, year old whiskey. And so consequently, uh, we're selling a lot of other, you know, sort of um, white spirits, so the gin and so forth. Um, but what sort of volume are you doing in terms of whiskey in order to. Right. Yeah, this is, put this that is down the. So long. With a and, and aim to have a lot of it. Mm. How much are you able to do? Right. So we just built a brand new brewery, and oh, I've given Bill the night off because normally I I make him work what eighteen hours a day. Oh, <laughs> eighteen to twenty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we've we've got a brewery that has a capacity of half a million liters of wash a year. So from that, we'd like to think we produce something like thousand liters of spirit. And wow. we're looking at expanding the the brewery now to, to get close to a million litres of wash and, and roughly 100,000 litres of whiskey spirit. Hmm. Uh, I will need another still or a bigger still to keep up with that. Add another distiller. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. For, I know we've got um, uh, Alex uh, online. She loves a bit of uh, still porn. Um, tell us about your still. Bill, I'll, I'll let Bill talk. Uh, well, we started off with um, a hybrid pot column 500 litre, which lasted us for quite a few years. Mm. Um, how many years ago did we upgrade? Oh, yeah, no, a bit longer. I can't five, five, six five years ago, ago, we upgraded to a 1500 litre pot still. And we also got a, a 200 litre column uh, specifically for, for white spirits. Right. We have a, uh, we have a selection of stills to use from, uh, depending on uh, what the job requires. I like to use the big one as often as I can for uh, anything to do with whiskey or brandy or rum. Mm. Now the two, it's, it's it's more enjoyable to use. It it's gives better yields, or it's. Like what? Watch. I mean, bigger is often uh, well, better. It, it does have subtle differences uh, in in the quality or lack of quality of the output. And right. like, if you, you don't want to clean uh, brown spirits up too much, you want to keep that mm. flavour. And um, I, at one stage, I was just doing wash in the big still and running the spirit through the the five hundred liter hybrid, but. Uh, I was finding I actually got a better result doing the spirit runs in the wash still. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what I've continued doing. Right. Yeah, so, 
So how do you then characterize the difference between pre-big still and post-big still? Uh, are there are there big differences in the spirit, or is it something we would notice if we've got an old bottle to a new bottle? No, you wouldn't yeah. notice. Uh, you wouldn't notice because the barrel plays such a significant part in what the final product is. You, you really wouldn't notice what's happening from the still. Mm. But but I, I think also, you know, one thing we really try and be really brutally careful about is our cuts and our consistency. So mm. we we were managing the cuts in both stills when we do the spirit run, uh, pretty similar. And so ultimately, I don't think you'll see the the switchover. And and to be honest, we've got a record of it. We, we keep a really close watch of all our barrels and mm. the barrel program, but not the stills. Um, right. And we've actually started to do batting of our mm. whiskies now. Uh, right. And so I think that that's always going to sort of you know, you know, polish out, you know, any little differences that might have occurred. Mm. Okay. I want to talk about fermentation. So... <laughs> One of, one of the things that, that I've learned in my short uh, time in, in, uh, in having my own distillery is so much of the magic happens in the ferment. There's so many levers you can pull at a ferment level uh, that have a flavour a flavor impact. So you're transitioning from uh, a wash, which, is, which you've had purposely made at, at a brewery, to your mm. spec, um, and you've had consistency in that product, and now you're moving that over across to your brewery, where it's all new. Question: Are you are you changing your mash bill, your your wash, and, and how it's getting made, or are you trying to replicate what you've got in the brewery, and then have plans to change it, or are you quite prepared to stay with with, with what what you're using currently? Mm. I'll, I'll I'll answer half of it. So, interestingly, for the for the first five or six years, we, we were actually taking all of our wash out of the three breweries here in Tasmania, initially Cascade. Yep. Um, then we went to Brew Brew and more recently we were with Last Rites. Now, um, you know, for the, uh, you know, the whiskey um, of, you know, so the, the people that are really interested in whiskey, Sullivan's Cove actually were having the same wash made by the same brewers. So the wash profile for both Sullivan's and ourselves was, was pretty close. Wow. When, we were, when we were planning our own brewery, in fact, we designed a brewery that was almost identical to the Last Rite slash Moobrew breweries. So we're able effectively to essentially take what was um, a, a contract manufactured wash to an in-house manufactured wash. Um, the grain bill is exactly the same. The, the yeast profile is exactly the same. Uh, we actually got the Last Rites guys in to have a look at what we're doing, and we actually brought in a contract brewer as well to start us out. So I think we've been able to pretty much replicate what we were getting in in terms of flavour profiles. Right. But Bill might be able to add to that because we have actually improved on things a little bit, which we're quite happy about, and... What we have improved is we've uh, got uh, one or two more percent alcohol alcohol out of our wash than we were getting from the uh, brewers who were providing. Right. Uh, what, what do you put that down to? I mean, an extra couple of percent is, is pretty damn good. 
That's a lot. Mm. Yeah. Um, the mash bill, I mean, w w uh, the proportions of barley we use, um, uh, where I think we're doing three spargins, are we? Not the two. Well, we have got our brewer with us here yeah. tonight, but uh, I'd have to <laughs> let him answer that. Yeah, I think it's three, yeah. Well, we actually three got, right. yeah, we got, um, if, if people know him, but um, he used to actually brew for Lark, you know, uh, decades ago, um, Evan Hunter. He's now moved, working for a brewery in Bendigo. So Evan spent six months with us really closely uh, trying to, 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 to get some real efficiencies in the business and um, we're pretty happy. The early the early fermentations were about the same as we're getting from last right. They were, yeah. But um, we've, we've changed the, the mash bill a bit and, and that's allowed us to you know, sort of extract a couple of percent, which which doesn't sound a lot, but it means a big difference in terms of things mm. that we get at the back end. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely. We don't, one thing we don't want to do, it's not all about efficiency. You know, flavour is still, you know, king for us. Mm. We don't want to be like, a, um, you know, one of these big mass manufacturing, you know, breweries, distilleries that, you know, their average percentage yield for alcohol might be 12 or 13%. We're not going to go there because we don't want to sacrifice flavour. But we do like to think that if we can get a little bit more alcohol, that's good for us in the long run. Yeah. It gives you a bit more to play with. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And you put a lot of emphasis on uh, a barrel. So I remember you know, one of the very first discussions that you and I had when I came down and spent an afternoon with you before I started independent bottling is you said, look at your wood and try and get interesting wood, um, yeah. and which is that exactly what I did. I went off and uh, I spent some time with, with Boney and that, and I got lucky with, with some wood, which is always a good thing. Um, so tell us your story about your, your, your wood policy. What, how do you go and source casks? Um, what sort of casks do you use? What excites you, and what doesn't excite you with wood? Mm, okay, look uh, again. It's going to be a two-way conversation here, but but um, I always used to use Bonesy as my sole supplier. Um, I didn't feel I knew enough. We didn't know enough about wood. It is it is a, a case study in its own, and um, we more recently have brought Bonesy back to help us a little bit, but at the same time, both Bill and I have been out there sourcing ourselves. Um, it's quite satisfying to go out and talk to, to winemakers, to talk to other brokers to see what's out there. Mm. Um, look, um, we pretty much always use oak. We haven't experimented with any funky woods, you know, elms and jarrahs and, you know, stuff like yeah. that. That's a little bit too little, uh, bit esoterical. Too yeah. So we haven't done anything like that. Um, I'll tell you what we have done, which no one else has done, is through the guys at Mastercast, we bought in roughly, I'm, I always overestimate, but you'll correct me, about a half a million dollars worth of new oak, literally, literally uh, milled oak, out of the French oak forests in France, South of France, mm. about a half million more, more, mm. one, one and a half. Oh, okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> wow, got that wrong. And oh. we're air drying it at the distillery. Now, nice. Nice. you can. 
Where, where, where the, you know, forget the numbers, but they illustrate things, okay? The numbers might be a bit wrong, but when you when you mill a piece of new wood, it might be 30 40% moisture content. You've got to bring that down to sort of, you know, single-digit numbers, 9 10% before you can work it. Typically, nowadays, a lot of that wood is just is, is put through a kiln, you know, it's kiln drying. Two weeks, bang, it's out there to try it. Yeah. Um, Air drying um, uh, produces essentially the same effect in terms of dry wood, but it has an extra bonus in that in that time it's drying, three to four years, you're, you're getting a lot of uh, microbial activity on the wood itself. So you're getting bacteria, you're getting fungus, and that's, uh, that, that, that's starting to break down the wood fibres, introduce new flavours. And so when the barrel's made up, it's, it's literally of a higher quality as a vessel or shaping the flavour of the spirit. Um, and and I think makers, that, makers that's a lot of wood. That's a lot of wood to try and store for a number of years. Uh, where do you put it all? Um, at the top of our hill, we have a large plateau and uh, we have that levelled off and gravelled and the wood is in big stacks on pallets up there, just out in the open. So right. we're lucky. We've got 100 acres of land, and, and so we've got a lot of room to move. Our neighbours are the national parks, so we really get complaints. <laughs> uh, uh, we, uh, we do fireworks every, every, every couple of weeks up there, um, <laughs> so we like to enjoy ourselves. Um, but yeah, so we, we're lucky. We've got a lot of space, and mm. and and one of the reasons why we're doing the the air drying of the wood is because the environment allows us to essentially dry slowly over that three year period. The humidity at the distillery is on average seventy five percent all year round, um, and so you know the drying of the wood is really slow. But in that time, you get all that microbial breakdown which is going to enrich that wood and make it mm. uh, special yeah. so in how long way, has it been drying uh, for now oh no. sorry crafty i was just going to say in a way you're almost introducing another level of and, and i love this terroir mm. yeah yeah terroir is the word crafty because yeah. it is about the environment it is about the place um you know there's something specialness in everywhere everyone is, but certainly what we are, where we are, we're trying to bring that through in, in, in obviously the barrels and 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 how we age our, our whiskey. Mm. Yeah, cool. So, Luke, you go. You got the stick, Luke. You go. <laughs> Damn it, where's the stick? We have to give it to the so, time. So they're they're sitting there on pallets, open to the air. Um, they're obviously going to get rained on and uh, everything, and still over the the three to four year process dry out properly mm. how far through that process are you how many years have they been up about, there? about uh, two and a half right okay so another another few yeah and they'll be ready to start using yeah i think i think some we, we had a bit of wood go so we're trying that out, but it's really the bulk of it's it's probably twelve months away. It'll be it'll be a summer when it goes because yep. the, the winters here are very wet, and moist. Yep. And so um, 
what we lose in the summer gets goes back in the wood in the winter. So, so um, it'll at least be six or eighteen months. One of those two. Yeah, and right. it can be hard to get a truck up there in the winter. <laughs> I would imagine. So, yeah. When Bill talks about it, it, it's actually Mount Arthur. It's not a hill. It's a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> just a just a little hill. Yeah, yeah. it snows. <laughs> We have snow. We can we can ski on it one day a year. <laughs> nice. Part of your expansion plans. Yeah. <laughs> a little yeah. piece. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to ask us what we make our skis out of. Oak. Yeah. What else? Funky oak at that. <laughs> right. Now let's 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 have our our twenty seconds of fame with the Todd. So Holy crap, Todd, 20 seconds this week. Oh, was it two seconds uh, two weeks ago, was it? Oh, I'm getting more now. Okay. And you guys have used all my questions so far tonight, so that's going to be a bit of a challenge. Well, I'm going to frame it. Yep. I'm going to frame it. So, right. I, Bill, you'll, you'll love this. So, for my first three years, I called myself uh, an apprentice distiller. I refused to call myself a distiller um, because, to me, it's like you don't walk into a butcher shop, pick up a hunk of meat and a knife, and you're a butcher. You know, you got, you got to learn. Um, so I put myself under a self-imposed apprenticeship, and and so Todd was the apprentice's apprentice, and I've now graduated to the to the distiller, and so Todd is now the apprentice. So Todd has questions that he loves to ask distillers uh, about their experiences and relay it back to some of the things that him and I have done and just how wrong some of the things are that we've done. So he'd like some advice. And boy, have we done some wrong things. So, Todd, it's all yours, mate. Fire away. So, Big Bill, since you're basically my counterpart, what has been the biggest challenge with um, coming into a distillery and um, being helping out someone else to get their distillery up off the ground? Oh, we've uh, you're on mute there, guys. Oh. There we go. Yeah, probably the, the biggest challenge has been um, scaling up and uh, going from making small amounts of something happy with to making maybe ten times an amount per batch and keeping the same consistency and quality. That's the biggest uh, problem that I've encountered. Mm -hmm. And handling, handling of large amounts, large volumes uh, with with limited uh, handling facility. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm personally, I'm looking forward to that challenge because that means that I might actually get paid as opposed to... No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> with we, scale we have, money. Just having a hobby. <laughs> we didn't have a forklift. We couldn't afford a forklift for that. Until two years ago, yeah. Oh, wow. you know? wow. So, so we used to we used to we had a hand fork and we did a lot of just lifting the ourselves. Old winding one, yeah, the old winding yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. Pumping up and down the handle. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, materials handling is a big challenge. Your scale. Oh, yeah. Up. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, uh, Big Bill, what was your background in distilling prior to? To, to joining prior 
to um, uh, joining McHenry's Distillery, my background in distillery would have been uh, sampling the products of other distilleries in certain social situations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you are a passionate enthusiast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mainly, um, mainly in the form of um, uh, drinking after work at shearing sheds where I'd, I'd be working as a wool classer. Right. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. So you've been around sheds quite a lot. Yeah, since since, since I was about nineteen or twenty. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just just on that one, in my very basic understanding of wool wool classing, um, both Crafty and I come from a colour matching background, mm. and what what we're finding is when we start to get into vatting and and such some of our colour matching skills have actually come across into, into taste skills. Absolutely. Just um, some of the techniques that we use. So is there any sort of similarities between wool, wool classing and making whiskey? That's a good question. Um, the similarities I've found are that there's probably just a little less um, uh, misinformation in the whiskey industry than there is in the wool industry. But... Both of them are quite high, highly up there in, uh, in terms of what people think and what really happens. Right. You're, you're saying with, with like wool classing, microns and all those sorts of things. The perception people have from the outside is completely different to reality. Mm -hmm. Probably the same in the whiskey. I, I would imagine so, yeah. I mean, I can see... Uh, wool grading as being pretty glamorous, and um, uh, you're out there in the in, in very comfortable conditions at all times, <laughs> with wonderful aromas and um, absolutely, yeah, some very highbrow people. Conversation with the, uh, the the work colleagues, yeah, uh, always always um, uh, top notch accommodation when away from home. Mm -hmm. And uh, always uh, well recompensed, of course. Right. Yes. And uh, uh, what uh, a viewer William Rule says, fewer burrs. Uh, I always worked in pretty burry country out there in uh, <laughs> western New South Wales, south of Broken Ooh. Hill. Oh. There you go. So, so with no background other than tasting... Yes. How did you get roped into being head distiller in a distillery? Well, well McHenry um, uh, knew about my obviously huge brain and uh, <laughs> knew that I could pick anything up within probably 10 or 15 minutes. Right, okay. And so we just took it from there. Um, we both stumbled along in a few things, um, but it did help to um, have some direction in a, in a one-week course with a fellow called Alan Barclay from Scotland. You used to work for Diageo, I believe. Yeah, and a few other. Yeah, he's, a, he's a big wig in education in Scotland, came to Tasmania, and a lot of us did a course with him, and he, he set us up. That was the, uh, with Anne, that was the. That's correct. The, I did that. The, the inaugural one. Were you there at the inaugural one? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. <laughs> I guess that we didn't talk. <laughs> no. I was at the other end of the bus. <laughs> I, I find it amazing that Crafty didn't find you to talk to you and chew your ear off at the time. 
Well, there's another fella there who is pretty good at chewing oh. ears. And uh, yeah, mine, mine took a bit of pounding from his. Was that the guy from the Southern Highlands? It possibly may have been. Uh, oh. He's got a distillery in the Southern Highlands? Yeah, yeah. I think we know who we're talking about. <laughs> mm. Mm. That's so I tell you nice. what, one thing, one thing we, we do, and, and we really enjoy the fact that, um, you know, I think acknowledge we, 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 there's a lot more to learn than we know. And so each year, Bill and I try uh, to take a year, uh, take a week out of the distillery to either travel domestically or overseas and, and yeah. visit other distillers and distilleries. A little bit like what we're doing now, Crafty, you know, exchanging ideas and methodology. And um, we, we like to do it as part of our education. And, you know, look, we're mates from high school, so it's actually nice to get away from the distillery and just enjoy, you know, a few moments together. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, a love moment. I agree with you 100%, the, the importance of that. Um, and it's, you know, with COVID, it's been a lot more difficult for sure. Um, but I know just with my own experiences and, and just communicating with other distillers and batting ideas around and and and, um, and now I'm doing it more and more internationally as well and and it you, it just helps your knowledge build and it gets you thinking different ways which you then take it into your own distillery and go how can I apply that, that that's something of interest mm. so yeah, it'll be good when the borders open up properly and we can we can all travel and uh, mm. One of the first places I want to go is uh, the US. I'm excited mm. by working in the US for single malt. Yeah, I want to go west coast. You know, up Washington State. You know, up yeah. there is, is dynamic. You know what they're doing on the brewing and the distilling side. Oh, mm. So do you draw more inspiration? So you said earlier that you draw a lot of inspiration from Scotland, and obviously mm. chose Tasmania due to its approximation to Scotland, um, do you still look to the US or to Japan, to, to other whiskey areas to see what they're doing and, and how they're doing it? Yeah, look, I, I like to I like to go to the sort of the frontiers of, of distilling in, in that, um, you know, distilling and maturation is, is pretty well understood and pretty well documented, mm. but how these... You know how your product is marketed, sold, promoted. Uh, you know, and, and you know half of what we do is production, but half of every day we we're working is selling. And so to be able to learn from these guys that you know maybe a you know a sort of a, a hop, skip, and a jump in front of us as a, a sort of a frontier of, of distilling is I th I think. You know, we, we gain a lot, and so I'm pretty keen to go to new frontiers of the ceiling just to see what they're doing on that front. Mm. And what's the most exciting thing that you're seeing in the spirits industry at the moment? What what sort of what, what are you looking at? Going, that's pretty cool. Little bit of tax reform. <laughs> you got still to start. Got a long way to go. Still a long way to go. You've got to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, look, you know, um, uh, I've, I've got to be careful how I say this. The wine industry have had half a million dollar rebate at their 
to their benefit for the last 20 years, okay? Mm. Um, now, if I came into when, – when, when I started distilling, you know, we, we were losing money, but we were still paying tax. We still paid excise on a loss-making business. I found that profoundly unfair. Um, now, you know, through a lot of effort, um, we've been able to essentially equalise ourselves with the, the wine industry, but we still pay the highest rate on excise – um, in just about the world, it goes up twice a year. Uh, you know, um, you know, it's just wrong. It's just unfair, and and I'd like to sort of see it change. But you know, I don't know. Every government I've seen in the last ten years is pathetic in terms of wanting to get reform mm. and 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 harmonisation within the alcohol industry. Um, so you know, spirits are heavily penalised. Um, for what reason? I don't know, but it's just the way it is. Um, that tax reform is going to really unleash, certainly us, in terms of investment. We're now looking at, at new bigger stills. We're looking at more people to employ within the business. We're looking at bottling lines. We can really get serious, you know. Um, and that's what um, it's about, though. That, that's what it's about. It's about putting the money into the business and building sustainable businesses and growing the industry. So yeah. they've ticked the box on that, which is good. Mm. It's not yeah. about bringing down prices. It's about reinvesting. Oh, not for us. No. I mean, yeah, see, we operate in the, in the Tasmanian market. Um, Bill, Bill you, you equated it as the uh, Hadrian's Wall, didn't you? Mm. No. Bill, Bill explained. Yeah. Well, you've got uh, in between England and Scotland, you've got Hadrian's Wall built by the Romans. Yep. The definition of whiskey is, is really Irish and Scottish, and that's the dividing line. Our Hadrian's Wall is Bass Strait. I'm sorry about your mainland, guys. So, uh, <laughs> well, I we, we love the idea. That. <laughs> Carry we on. love the idea that that's the definition of. Of, of Australian whiskey, Tasmania. <laughs> Tasmanian yeah. whiskey. Suits us just fine. So the benefit of that, the reason for that little, uh, <laughs> that little side journey is that we're still struggling to keep up with demand. So we, we can actually hold our prices. I mean, we have seen some shifts. Uh, prices are becoming, you know, you might call more reasonable. They're still... Still a bit challenging when you look at a bottle of scotch, you know, on the shelf next to you that might be 15 years old and selling for, you know, 80%, 70% of the price of Tasmanian whiskey, but um, people are still buying it. Um, yeah. And so consequently, we, ca we can maintain our prices. And it's not wrong for us to do because without no. profit, we can't pay people. We need profit. And the more profit we get, the better we can make our individual businesses. So... You know, um, we're happy to sort of have a premium and, and, and keep our product um, highly in demand. Yeah, no, well, well, well Which said. Which makes well, complete sense. There's, there's um, yeah, I mean, it, it's supply and demand. It's supply and demand. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I mean, we don't, small distilleries, you know, we don't have the economies of scale, right? Mm. So, you know, I... It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, someone comes into my shed and goes, uh, oh, that's a bit expensive. And I turn and point to the casks and I go, yeah, we have, we make thousands of litres, not millions of litres. So we're your artisan cheese, mate. Yeah, you mm. can't compare us to Cole's big block. 
And when you when you articulate it that way, people straight away go, got it, understand. It's never an issue. Now, I want to go back to this mainland thing, this war. <laughs> They're both mainlanders, by the way. Yeah. This is very, very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, because over time, okay, let's let's start with this. Tasmania is the spiritual home of Australian whiskey. It's no, the, the crucible. Yeah. No no question about it, right? There's not there's not an Australian whiskey distiller I know who would not deny that, right? And it's always a great pleasure to go back to Tasmania and you hop off the plane and it feels like you're back in the spiritual homeland. It's really great. But Tasmanians make whiskey. Tasmanians make whiskey and mainlanders make whiskey. And mainlanders are Tasmanian are winning awards internationally as well, but mainlanders are winning a lot of awards and establishing different styles of whiskey. Um, and mainlanders look at Tasmania and Tasmania is creating this Tasmanian whiskey identity and really almost trying to, don't take this the wrong way, separate from Australia and, and very much about Tasmanian whiskey. And it's an interesting dynamic because the Tasmanian whiskies are Australian whiskies. So explain to the audience why that that's happening right and i know there's valid reasons for it and it's, and it's great from a marketing perspective but explain why that's happening and explain what you think's happening on the mainland as well as as far as the diversification of whiskey and flavor styles okay well, who wants to go first well i think you have an analogy with the wine industry you've got places like rossa kunawara hunter valley they all have their own Little niche, their their own characteristics, and their own their own uh, reputation, and that's yeah. all that Tasmania has done in the same sort of uh, retail space. So uh, I think it's now up to other regions. Yeah, don't don't put yourself in Australian mainlands. Oh, it's way too big. You've got to find a little province, a little niche that you can call your own. The one, one thing I, I challenge in, in my own thinking is I where I am, two hours down the road, uh, Brian from Blackgate is making a totally different style than what I'm making. Um, Smith, Jones, uh, Jones and Smith, two hours up the road, a totally different style. So the idea of a, a regional, regionality of, of whiskey, like a Scottish Lowlands, Highlands and, and that, I don't see that in Australia. I, I see it very, very much about individual distilleries and the styles that, that they're representing. So within Tasmania, uh, yes, it's a region, but there's so many different styles of Tasmanian whiskey, isn't there? Um, yeah, no. look, I mean, I mean, we all, we all like to say, you know, our, our, our whiskey, McHenry whiskey, is going to be different from Sullivan's or Lark or Hellier's because we want people to buy our product. Um, you know, look, there, there is always the, um, the competitiveness on the shelf. For a long, long time, um, it's been difficult to get Australian whiskies on shelves. And so when they were allowed, you know, it was very, only a very small amount of shelf space. It, it's increasing. It's, it's getting better and better. And so consequently, you know, that race for shelf space, um, you know, the Tasmanians saw basically if we could call ourselves a category, um, we wouldn't be a single product 
on a standing in there on its own would have two or three other products, you know, taking shelf space. And initially, all we were doing is taking shelf space off the spots and, you know, a bit of American whiskey and maybe a bit of Japanese whiskey. I, I agree. Look, you know, ultimately, there's good whiskey being made on the mainland. It, it's all different. Um, and, um, you know, look, at the same time, we like to be very proud and parochial about Tasmania. I think we should also be pretty proud about Australia in general in terms of where it's come from in the last 10 years. So I'm sort of with you, Crafty, but <laughs> a bit against you. Tasmanians. <laughs> No, it's all good. It's 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 all good. It really is. Yeah. Okay. Um, question. Uh, can, can, can I ask you guys a question? Yeah, go for it. Um, what what what's your angel share per year? What what happens in your barrels under your storage conditions? I reckon, I reckon about eight nine percent. That's what we're losing. And is it is it? Do you measure the alcohol? Do you know if it's you're losing water or alcohol? Well, it, it's that's a really interesting question because I think we're sort of we we go up and down one or two points, but we generally end up pretty close to where we started. Okay, uh, well, having said eight, that, though, yeah, said that, though, we discovered on our on our independent bottlings. Some yep. of that stuff was um, diff doing different things. We'd be gaining alcohol, and then other liquor from other distilleries would be losing alcohol. Yeah, that's what true. What we're finding on, on our new make is that at the moment it's appearing to basically break even the whole way through, although we, yeah. lose, we, lose, we lose volume, but we don't necessarily lose alcohol. Now, where are we? We're the bulkier barrels are hundreds and twenties, are they? They're small barrels. Hundreds, so, very little, very little twenties. We moved off twenties uh, right from the start. Yeah. Uh, we got a couple of two hundreds uh, and two two fives barriques. Um, that's probably as big as big as we're going to go. Um, but you know, I, I had a discussion with a, a mainlander, well-established distiller, this week about you know the. The differences between a hundred liter and a two hundred liter, uh, and and the, how little the difference are, uh, depending on on your climate. So it's um, it is yeah, it's it, it's interesting. Um, we're eight hundred meters above sea level. We're anywhere from minus five in winter to about oh, 38, 39 in in summer. We get 40. a lot. What yeah, we get we get uh, a lot of storm fronts uh, coming through, rolling off the plains. Um, and, I, and I'm a big believer those storm fronts are having a big impact on, on our whiskey. Mm. You're, also in a, you're also in a tin shed. You do see the barrels starting to really strain under the, the, the conditions at times. You know, the, the storms roll in, you can almost hear them starting to talk to you as they start to sort of open up. Or That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. We it's a, it, it, we got a little comment there from Ken Moore. He's he's absolutely right. Um, high humidity, you lose ethanol. Um, low humidity, you lose water. We we're, our humidity is seventy two percent, and it's very temperate. We fill our barrels at sixty three point five, and we're degorging them around 
55 through to 58. So we're losing alcohol. The, the volume loss, though, is less than 2%. Between, one, like, and, between one and two. Yeah. Um, now, we, we, we rub our hands in delight because what we like to think we'll be able to do is really produce some really nicely aged, so 15, 20 years. I think Sullivan's have released a 20-year, haven't they? You know, really push out some of the age and see what happens with our spirit in our uh, climate. Um, like you, we like the idea that um, atmospheric pressure can play and have an impact on the barrels. You know, it, it massages, it squeezes the barrel when there's a high pressure, releases the barrel when there's low. We actually see it physically in the flow rates on our spring. Um, you know, when there's big high pressures coming in, it basically stops the water flow. It doesn't stop it. It blows it down. You can really see it, you know, pulsating depending on what sort of pressure systems we've got coming out of the, 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 the Southern Ocean. You know, because we're in the roaring 40s. We're 43 degrees south, so we get intense highs and lows. Well, lows yeah. more. Yeah, um, right. So we, we love what that's doing to the, to the whiskey in the, in the barrel. Um, so yeah, I think wow. those sorts of things are, are, are nice because they do separate, you know, some of the spirits and the whiskies that are being produced. And ultimately mm. what it does, Crafty, it gives the consumers more choice. Yeah, And, that's what and how good can that get? Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's interesting how you then educate the consumer on those differences and, mm. uh, yeah, we've got more uh more more pressure we're in the in the wrong 40s we've got completely different climate to other parts of tassie and that's going to affect it in some way um would people necessarily understand that i mean we we look at scotland and it's pretty well there you know an isla you know a Campbelltown. they're going to be fairly similar uh, with some some local variances, of course, um, but yeah, Tassie, you've then got well a huge variation in in terrain um, and location being either close to the mainland or closer to the Antarctic. Do you think that makes a big difference where in Tassie you are? Um, what makes the biggest difference uh, to the education of our potential? Customers is tasting the product. Yeah. They, don't, they don't really, honestly, they don't really care too much about the technical details of the climate. Uh, we can explain that to them post their you know, trying the product, but if they're not on board with with the taste of what we're producing. It all just really goes over their head. Uh, yeah, look, I think the segments. You know, you get the the, the people that are really interested want to know mm. you know they've done a lot of reading you know they've heard distillers talk they've visited a lot of places they want to know but there is certainly a big chunk of the market um that probably just doesn't want you know to have all that fat fat going on they just want to try it and you know um yeah mm. um, so a question come in from uh william rule uh they've just put up on screen they've noticed any change in aging and development of flavors between the drought years and the wetter conditions of the last 12 to 18 months? We'll have to leave that uh, for the mainlanders because it's been pretty consistent here. Don't, right. don't get droughts in Tassie. 
pretty dry, though. We do get droughts. We get we get dry periods. It's true. Um, but uh, you know what? To be honest, William, we've never thought about that as something that might influence. We should. We don't record it in our in our records. We never thought about that. That's no, a good question. Thank you, William. The, the, hmm. the climate has been so consistent over the last ten years here; it hasn't been a thing to yeah. consider. If you look at if you look at what we do, look at our weather records, and it is it, the, the 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 climate has hit where we are has a ten percent range, sixty two to seventy two percent is our range. I think it's sixty two to seventy, so roughly ten. It's a really tight band. Um, whereas where crafty is and a lot of mainland South Australians, you know, winter time might be as high as 80, 90 percent when it's raining, and five percent when it's not. So mm. I would see, I would see, yeah, there's big influences there. We tend to have a really, um, you know, really, really, we're in a fairly safe climate area, so it's pretty consistent. Mm. Oh, yeah. certainly, we've seen. Uh, a, just near uh, near Crafty, with the uh, the whole Caperton Valley up in flames, and mm. uh, I'm worried about whether his shed's going to burn down or not. Uh, obviously, a week later underwater. Yeah, yeah, we're water. <laughs> right, we're we're at um, we're at an hour, so we generally do a, about an hour, an hour and a quarter, even an hour and a half. Mm. So, I want to put a question to you guys from a distiller's standpoint. Um, and this is something which for me right now is really, really fascinating. It's something I've been fascinated uh, from my early encounters with Brook Laddie back in early 2000. And I want to talk about Tawa, whiskey Tawa. So there's two very, very strong uh, schools of thought on, on this. One is uh, the further you go down the process of making whiskey, uh, the less impact it has on the final product. So barley, being right down at the start, it makes bugger all difference on on the uh, on the final product. Um, and part of the argument is it goes through a very you, you're you're destroying your barley um, terroir, your flavour profile in the sense that you destroy it when you mill it, when you mash it, when you distill it. So the flavours of barley and the uniqueness of barley varieties and that doesn't really come through. On the other end of the spectrum is the argument that, oh, hell yeah, barley is flavour and depending on how you make your whiskey, you can really extract differences from different barley and that. And where the barley grows and, and the tawa does actually have a, a major impact. Now, like I said, I first encountered this with Brook Laddie. Um, which is very much driven by the uh, one of the owners at the time, Mark Rainier, who has taken it to Waterford, created Waterford Distillery in Ireland, and some fascinating things. I'm very much in the camp of Tawa, and I want to explore Tawa myself. What's your take on on this whole argument of doesn't make a blind bit of difference to oh hell yeah it does. Yes. Um, well, I'd be interested what you think, Bill. This is obviously. Um, I, I, look, I, I think it, it, it must do and it, what it can do. Um, ultimately, it, it, for us, because we're artisan producers, we can control that a lot, um, you know, through um, 
through the fermentation process, um, I think in the terms of fermentation process, you, we don't talk enough about yeast and uh, yeast combinations and things like that because, you know, let's, let's face it, you know, that yeast is, is the thing that's producing all those esters and all those little flavour molecules. Um, we know from, we visited Scotland last year and the way things are peaked and can have a big difference in terms of the flavour profiles, particularly in peaty smoky. So I reckon, oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm of the camp that, that, that it, it does make a difference. And if you're, you know, maybe it comes back to who's tasting it. I mean, if you've got a powerful enough palate, you'll get those differences. Um, you know, if you've got a palate like mine, I'm a bit of a, an average palate. So sometimes I can't feel the difference, even though the wand has been, you know, sort of waved over something. The magic has been, you know, sort of, you know, cast upon the product. I don't know. Is that a yes and a no at the same time? That's fine. There's no wrong answer. Ask Bill. Hang on, Bill. Your turn. No, I think you're on the money there with uh, yeast. That, I think that's more important than barley. You know, the conversation's always been about the still, the shape of the still, things like that. And you go, oh, guys, move on. You know, yeah. there's more to it than that, please. Um, but, um, and, and of course, you know, the barrels, you know, and, and I mean, barrels are huge in terms of what they do. Um, but there must be, you know, if you look at all the steps involved, um, you know, you can you can shape a whiskey in a lot of different ways to make it um, unique and special. Um, so I don't know if I've talked around. I think there's lots. I don't just feel that there's lots and lots to play around with all of that. You know, the way you there are big variables. Mess, many, many. You know your line arm, which way that's running, and things all just adds to the complexity mm. of your whiskey. And, and really it really does change the flavour. Mm. Mm. The the heat at which you, the the temperature that you pitch your yeast and then that you do your ferment at mm. uh, the yeast itself, um, how you ran your 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 actual all of these things is what make all of these things is what makes it fun. If it was just oh, pressing you know, whiskey came out the other end, it would be a bit boring, really. As, as you said, Bill, you know, everyone's making different whiskies and that's an exciting thing. You know, that's what giving giving our customers the choice. Um, and we are, you know, there's there's so much exciting. What okay, here's a here's a question. What's exciting to you in Australia right now? From a well, you're, you're, you're close to this one. I want to see how that patent challenge goes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, exciting me. Um, oh, that. <laughs> look, um, I tell you what, we, we, we try. I mean, we're, we're not there yet, but our, our objective is to, is to export 60% of all we make at our little facility. And I... <laughs> I'm really excited about is is the overseas interest in in our product. Anywhere um, in particular? Oh, uh, we're into Europe, uh, Italy, Germany. Uh, about to go into Spain. Uh, we're in Japan. Um, we've had inquiries out of the US. 
Um, so, you know, some, some substantial markets. Yeah. What I love is that literally when I got into this, you know, 11 years ago, um, you know, it was who, what, why? You know, it was, it was you know, literally we, we had doors slammed in our face. Um, and, and now it's, there's a recognition that, you know, uh, the spirit made locally in, in Australia is as good and sometimes better than can be purchased, you know, domestically wherever, wherever the domestically is, you know, Europe, America, Asia. Um, that's exciting for me because it means that my, you know, plans to conquer the world get there. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Bill on the side to, to help you with that 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 challenge that campaign. <laughs> yeah, that's good. All right, guys. Well, I think we'll we'll wrap it there. Um, thank you very much. This is uh, take two. Our, our take one didn't quite <laughs> happen, but uh, we got there in the end. Um, yeah. yeah. No, thank you. It's, it's been great. We've had a lot of fun. We've learnt a lot. And it's always good just shooting the shit like this. So uh, I hope you enjoyed yourself and uh, we will uh, catch up. We'll catch up at some stage soon. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, open invitation to you, Crafty, your team and, 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 and viewers. We, we've got two new cabins at the distillery. They purpose built to actually welcome people down to the peninsula where we are so they can spend some time, you know, Living the life of a distiller, um, it's not half bad. It's not oh. half. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Cheers, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, so, a little reminder to uh, all the viewers: if you haven't yet hit the subscribe button uh, on Facebook and YouTube, yeah. uh, once we hit our what's our magic number, crafting eight hundred. I think it was eight hundred, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think once we hit 800 subscribers, uh, 800,000, uh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, that, then we retire. As <laughs> yeah, that would be fantastic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then maybe rather than doing one a fortnight, we'll do uh, one every couple of days. Um, is, is, no, is so that crafty, not Beyonce? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he can shake it. Let's face it, with a face like that, he's a very good distiller. <laughs> As I was saying, uh, so hit hit the like button, hit the follow, subscribe button. Once we hit 800, then we're going to run, uh, we're going to pick a name out of the hat of all the followers and uh, subscribers, and you get go on the draw to win a uh, Cooper for a day with uh, Andrew Young at YN Cooperage, which would be awesome. Uh, I know we're booked in, I think, in September, are we, Crafty? September. We'll be there early September, absolutely. Oh, it's going to be so good. Yeah. I'm going to have hey, Sophie, So if we can get to 800, we'll bring the person with us. Hey, Crafty, oh, we're, we're happy to throw in a free night's accommodation at one of our cabins. Oh, oh Oh, there you go. Consolation oh, right. prize. Oh, that, oh, oh, which is which is better? This is a mega prize. That's yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so I will um I'll put a link to the YouTube channel in the chat for those on Facebook. 
Uh, we've yep. just had uh, people ask that. Uh, all of our details, you can get us on um, on the podcast as well. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, plus the website, uh, which is craftdistillershootinger.com, which has all of the links to everything, uh, as well as uh, past episodes. Uh, so get amongst it. And Coming up. We've got uh, Sunny Hill Distillery, we've got Highwayman, and we've got Westland from the US in the next month and a half. That's what we got lined up. So uh, mm. we've, got, we've got about 30, 30 uh, shooting the shits coming up. So this is going through 2021, 2022, and 2023 is the plan. Unless we hit the 800,000, and then we can bring that and condense it and bring them up a lot faster. <laughs> so anyway, right. thank, thank you guys for your time and thank you for, for being so open and honest with us. It's been great. Thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks guys. Slanger. Slanger.